0: Second Peter uh, chapter one. I've got all the scripture on the screen. His divine power, his his is Jesus. His divine power. Thank you, Kate. Has given us everything. It's an audacious claim. Has given us everything required for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. I mean, God must not know what's going on in Ukraine. I bet the believers have stories of God's provision in the midst of their trials. We will continue to pray for them, but we believe that we serve a God who is faithful, and we don't think that we serve a, a dead God, an idea from the past, someone who set the the ball in motion and now just watch as it turn, we serve a God who is still moving. And I'm telling you through faith that there are people in Ukraine who will tell you of the goodness of God. Because these people went through such trials and more, and they told of the goodness of God. And you have been through trials, and you can tell me of the goodness of God. And we can pick out things in the world that we don't understand, but can you look at your life and how God has treated you and how God has been with you and tell me of the goodness of God? Doesn't mean everything makes sense. I've told you this a hundred times, and I'll say it again. You have stories, and all I can do is sit and cry with you because I don't know, I don't understand. But think that you're here as proof that God did not leave you in that. God walked your atrocities with you. Why did He allow it? We may never know on this side of the earth, but His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Seems crazy. Through the knowledge of him who called us. Isn't that cool? Did you know that God has called you? That God has a plan for you? That God made you for a reason and he has called you to himself and he gave you everything that you need to live life and to have godliness. You have everything that you need to do that because you have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, I want to talk to you about that today. But it seems, it seems a, at minimum a perplexing idea that we have everything that we need. Because quite frankly, there's a couple uh, party tricks that I think if God would do, it'd be a whole lot easier to witness to people. You know? Look, see the clouds forming Jesus as Lord? Can you see it? I just think that would be helpful. As a minister... I feel like that would be helpful. God apparently does not see that as helpful. Which is interesting. Because, man, if he would just do something that was like shocking proof of his existence and love, wouldn't we all change? Wouldn't the nation fall flat on our face? Wouldn't we be like, it's him? I've always wondered, and it's here. Wouldn't we do that if something shocking happened? Well, a couple thousand years ago, <laughs> a couple thousand years ago, Jesus came and, and his, oh, 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 we're going we're to cover this. We're in John chapter 2. His first miracle, turning water into wine. I'm going to tell you why he did that, okay? Okay. Oh, I can't wait for Bible study tonight. It's going to be like cutting through butter with a hot knife. It's going to be like one of those satisfying videos. I want you to to join us right here at 6 o'clock. But he performed miracle after miracle. Can you imagine? Even if you've never read the Bible, you've heard these stories. You might have just thought they were folklore or something. But can you imagine the disciples receiving a couple fish and a little bit of bread and feeding 5,000 men, which you know they had families back then. That was your wealth. That was kind of your possession. But you know, that was uh, there was more than just them. So I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a drastic assumption to say at least 10,000 people. And they're just like, there's more fish! There's more fish! There's more fish! And everybody's like, the dude with the lunch bag is feeding 10,000 people! Where's it coming from? It's like one of those, you've you seen the magician trick where they're pulling out the bread stick that's like 20 foot long out of the bag. You know? And you're like, ah! We all believe, right? Isn't that what happened? No. They didn't all believe. Everywhere he went, demons were cast out. Blind people could see. At one point, a dude who was crippled, he was like 40 years old or something like that, and he not only got up, but he stood, he was jumping. Can you imagine? Not just stood up, he was leaping for joy. And everybody was like, well, he's got to be the Messiah. Let's follow him. No, they were like, we got to kill him. The presence of miracles, the presence of, 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 of just, just facts and proof, and we can pile it up, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we will believe. God seemed to have known this. I still can't help but believe, God, if you would just ride it out in the sky. He'll do better than that. He'll announce it from the sky. And we want this puppet God, where we can pull the strings and go, God, dance for him, show him, show him what you can do. And I propose this You will not know God outside of faith. The late Billy Graham said, and I, oh gosh, I don't like this quote, but it is profound. You cannot know God by intellect alone. I have tried. God requires faith. I don't understand it. The Bible even defines faith, and I still can't really grasp it. You know, a famous article came out, which is the title of a couple movies. (laughs) And an atheist wrote an article that said, Is God dead in the 60s? because he was coming out with uh, mounds of research that disproved the Bible. We have obliterated his research. They say now, with every turn of the shovel, the Bible is confirmed. We found things. We know things. Do you know in the 90s, Scientists finally proved, and I won't, I won't go into the depths of this, that the universe had a beginning. It was fought tooth and nail because if the universe had a beginning, then how did it begin? The Bible continues to be confirmed and confirmed, and Christians are having debates, and they're winning debates. So there's more Christians, right? Did you know that? In the, well, okay, first of all, y- y- yes, there, we, we have multiple continents, not just the United States. <laughs> and in many of those continents, the Bible is enough, and Christianity is exploding in growth and in numbers. Uh, but in the United States, now this is this, is, this is pre-COVID statistics. This is pre-COVID statistics. This is, uh, l- l- you, you can look up Ed Stetzer. Um, this is his stuff. But he said that in the United States, not one county, except for one county in Hawaii, not one county has grown in percentage of Christians since the 1950s. Did you know that biblical archaeology pretty well started in the 1950s? Did you know that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found right around that time? Did you know that we began to to mound evidence for the Bible since the 50s that is just like undeniable? You didn't know that? Well, good, because I have a slideshow prepared I wanted to show you. (laughs) Let me go to that. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you, on the back here, to not change it until I'm ready, okay? We've got to wow people with this. I'll give you that. What you're looking at right here is of great significance. <coughs> it's the black obelisk discovered in 1846. There is Assyrian key uniform we discovered it in 1846 but could not read it for quite some time Uh, until this cuneiform was side by side with Egyptian cuneiform and and we were able to get a couple pieces, you know, a, a Rosetta stone of sorts. And then we were able to read it. In reading it, I found out who these pictures were of, and you can't see it in great detail. Write it down on your notes. A lot of this, you're, you, you, you'll want to go uh, Google it. I mean, it's all, it's all over. You've, you've probably never heard of any of this before. But um, the Black Obelisk. I uh, found this in uh, what now would be northern Iraq. It is from right around 850 B.C., There's a king that is bowing to the Assyrian king, and once they were able to read this, we found the name of that king, and his name was Jehu. That may mean nothing to you, but Jehu is in your Bible as an Israelite king. And here's the thing, the Israelites didn't exist. This all had, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is what atheists were saying in, in, in the, uh, the, the 60s. Not that they never existed, but they didn't exist in the way that the Bible says. Like all this was made up and written way, way, way later, they said. But we have names and specificities that are later uncovered. How did they know in here about Jehu that we didn't figure out until sometime in the 1900s when we were able to read Assyrian cuneiform? How did they know about Jehu? Well, it must have been real. And it must have been, and this is the bigger thing, this is the bigger thing. This stone was made somewhere between 858 and 824 b C. Now remember, once you go BC, you start going like backwards. You know what I'm saying? It's right around the time of Jesus' birth. You start counting from one in both directions. So this was 850 years before Jesus came. And, and, and they already knew about Jehu. So if Jehu was real... If many of the prophets, I'm going to show you other things, if many of these prophets were real, and and they were really from such a long time ago, that changes everything for you because the things that they wrote that were prophecy of things that have come true were written long before. Because, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, the non-believers, those who would fight against the Bible, say, well, they just wrote this after it happened and pretended that it was prophecy from before. Oh, no, baby! (laughs) They said it long before it happened, which forces us to deal with it, right? I mean, all these people, hundreds and thousands of years before the Messiah, claiming that the Messiah would come and how he would come, and then he did it. That means something. In fact, that's probably a little cooler than God writing something out in the sky. Because I could be like, no, it's conspiracy. There's invisible planes that are, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we are digging up so much stuff. Let me go, and I'll go a little faster. I just want to explain why this means something. There's a, there's a passage. Now, remember, don't turn it. We've got to have wow factor. There's a passage I want to take you to in 2 Kings 2020. Some of you have tried to read the Bible before, and you get to a couple sections, and you're like, I can't, I can't do it. It's like people are begatting people. I don't even know what it means to begat. <laughs> Why couldn't they just do it the way we do it? Hey, uh, uh, 2 Kings twenty twenty. There's a couple passages that I did not put on, on the screen for you. I want to read it to you. Uh, 2 Kings twenty twenty. The rest of the events of Hezekiah's reign. Hezekiah was a king of Judah along with all his might and how he made the pool and the tunnel that brought water into the city are written in the historical records of Judah's king. We don't have the historical records of Judah's king, but we do have this. Huh? Huh? How cool is that? But we don't have that, but it says, hey, this is written. You know, this stuff about how he made a tunnel and stuff like that, and we just read over that. That means nothing to us. But you know what was found in Jerusalem? And change! A tunnel. Now, King uh, Sennacherib came and he laid siege against Jerusalem, but Hezekiah knew that he was coming, and so he went outside and covered up a water well because he didn't want the enemy to have ample water supply. And so he covered it up. It doesn't exist. It's not there. And they dug a tunnel, bringing the water into Jerusalem, which was brilliant. And the Bible tells us that he did it. Now, later, we find a tunnel And they're like, hey, there's a tunnel. And people say, hey, that might be Hezekiah's tunnel. There's no proof. It's Hezekiah's tunnel. In fact, there probably was never a Hezekiah. Well, in um, (laughs) 1880, this was discovered in 1830, but in 1880, a teenage boy that I would very much like to meet skipped school one day and made a deal with his buddy he said, you go into this side of Hezekiah's tunnel, which it wasn't Hezekiah's tunnel then. You go into this side of the cuddle, tunnel, which is where water comes out and people will come and wash their clothes and stuff. You go into that side, and I'll run out the, like, thousand yards or whatever, and I'll come in the other side, and we'll meet in the middle of the tunnel, right? What a cool way to skip school. Like, you stayed home and played video games. This dude. And so, uh, so the boy does it, and he goes to the other side, and he never meets his friend in the middle. Because his friend copped out on him, and he was in school. But the kid was the first person that we know of to make his way through the entire tunnel. So he goes back to school and begins to tell his professor of what he had done. He went to school right after he was done. I don't know if he was proud of himself or if he was so mad at his friend for bailing on him. Because when he got to the other end of the tunnel and he spits out the tunnel where women are washing their clothes, there was quite a panic. So he goes to his professor, he's telling him about it, and his professor happened to be an archaeologist. (coughs) And he started talking about the inscription that was written, once you get into the tunnel, just beyond the light. And the professor said, there is no inscription. And the boy said, oh, yes, there is. And school was canceled, and the professor ran out. And do you know what they found? Hezekiah's tunnel, labeled... Many still debate that it's not Hezekiah's Tunnel, though it is labeled <laughs> Hezekiah's Tunnel. And we have it right there in Second Kings 20, 20, also in Chronicles 32, 30, if you're interested. In 1868, just across the Dead Sea, we found this called the Moabite Stone. now yes the villagers in possession of the moabite stone for some reason caught wind that it was of some spiritual significance because when it was discovered uh uh all you know many countries began to compete for it and they were going to pay the villagers and they made the villagers mad and so they they destroyed it i wonder if there could have been anything spiritual in that because when have you seen people turn down money? So they destroyed it rather than be paid a large sum of money. And a man later went and got all of the fragments minus a couple. I think France finally gave up their couple of fragments. And we put it together best we can. We're still missing a couple lines that were never found. And we have what we call the Moabite stone. In there, they find tales of King Omri, who was one of the kings of Israel, who supposedly never existed. Next, we have one of my favorites. This was actually purchased in Baghdad, uh, but it was discovered in the ruins of Nineveh. You ever heard uh, the story of Jonah? You know Jonah in the well? Jonah was supposed to go uh, preach to the Assyrian capital, which was Nineveh. We, we have Nineveh now. This was discovered there. And in it, Sennacherib boast about his claims that he made to King Hezekiah. You know Hezekiah who had the tunnel but never existed, and although it's labeled Hezekiah's Tunnel isn't Hezekiah's Tunnel. That Hezekiah, we have Assyrian writing. This isn't even biblical writing. We have Assyrian writing about Hezekiah and his boast over Hezekiah. But guess what he does not boast about? History is written by the, y'all know this quote? There you go. History is written by the victors. So a lot of the history that we get isn't fantastic history because we get someone's version of history. If you're a king, you have a historian. What is his job? His job is to make you look good, right? And so they boast all about uh, Sinatra and all of his great exploits and, and how he talked trash to Hezekiah, and he did. And, oh, he was powerful. And they were a world empire. But you know what it doesn't say? That they took Jerusalem. You know what the Bible says? That they didn't take Jerusalem. It fits, the story fits, but it was all made up. You know, King Hezekiah, King Omri, those weren't the big names. Show me David. Why don't we have David? Even though David's son Solomon we find in antiquity more than any other person outside of Alexander the Great. That's not good enough. King David never existed. I mean, First and Second Samuel, that's about King David. The beginning of First uh, Kings, that's about David. If David is such a big picture, where is David? He's not found in archaeology, so the Bible's not true until 1993. This is the Tel Dan inscription. Found in northern Israel. One more long. aha! Uh-huh. Found in northern Israel, 9th century B.C. That's old. It is not from David. It is from his sons. It was written by an Armenian king who boasted that he defeated the kings of the house of David. He didn't defeat David. Not many ever did. He defeated David's sons, the kings immediately following David. David was so popular that anybody from David's lineage was from the house of David, because after David, there, there was Saul and, and David and Solomon, and after them, the kingdom broke up, and so you had uh, uh, 10 tribes who went to the north, and their capital was Samaria, two tribes who went to the south, and they were Judah, and Judah had the lineage of David. They were the house of David, and we have that confirmed, didn't find it until the 90s. No one knew anything about the King David outside of the Bible, but the Bible's all made up. If the Bible was made up, how'd they know about King David when we didn't find him in archaeology until 1993? Now, since then, we've found many other things that talk about David. He is well-established as a real person that really happened. How would the Bible have written about that? How do you write about things that you don't know about? This is one of the coolest ones. I love this. I, I hope that someday I get to see this in person. The Bible speaks of a lot of things going back to, like we have, we have history uh, of sort of civilizations and the movement of people and civilizations from about 4,000 BC on. It's hard to find anything that is that old that is that is old. But in Exodus, in Joshua, in judges, the Bible talks quite a bit about a people called the Hittites. Well, the Bible is obviously not true because guess what we've never found. We've never found... Any mention in all of history, in all of archaeology, nothing but the Bible is talking about anyone called the Hittites. And if they were some great civilization, why don't we have anything from the Hittites? Surely they had a capital city that was massive that we would have seen, right? Well, in the 1800s, (laughs) that's not it. Ah, that's it. Right in plain sight. Now, this is uh, in modern-day Turkey. These are still there. I hope I get to go there someday. This is a massive city from somewhere around 2000 B.C. I mean, it was, it was an empire for a long time, so I, I can't give you all the dates because they would build and rebuild just like we would. This is old, 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 old. And Nobody understood what it was for a long time. And the locals knew it was there, but they had no clue what it was. Archeologists were looking for something else, and they ran into this and said, what is this? There are stone walls that go for miles. There are these grand entrances. What could this be? It's the capital city for the Hittites, the ones that are mentioned early in the Bible that no one ever heard of. But the Bible made it up, right? Boy, that was a lucky strike to name something the Hittites. Jesus healed a man at the pool of Siloam. Now, anytime I say a Hebrew word and I don't hawk up a lot of phlegm, you know I've mispronounced it. But we're going to do, do our best and i got a lot of allergies going right now, so... So bear with me. Jesus healed a man to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is well excavated, right? Because we know everything there is to know about Jerusalem, and so some great pool would have certainly been discovered. Well, the Bible can't be true because there is no Pool of Siloam, despite everything else that it mentioned that we didn't know about and then we found. can't be true. 2004, water main breaks, they begin to dig, find some steps, they begin to dig some more, find some more steps, they begin to dig some more. They found a pool that is the size of two Olympic swimming pools. That is the Pool of Salome. I'm gonna go faster. Oh, I love this one. In 79, in seventy, in 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 seventy nine, I mean, just like you know, some of y'all were from the seventy nine that you're from. Nineteen seventy nine. There was an archaeologist, and he found some old, uh, some some tombs uh, out in the southern portion of of sort of Judah there, and he wanted to. Um, he, he wanted to excavate. He wanted to look deeper into these tombs and really explore. And as he found different caverns, I think there might have been like 25 caverns in there or something like that, he couldn't get funded. So he finally got a small funding, but he couldn't get any help. And so he takes on a group of preteen boys who are aspiring archaeologists. And one of the boys was so annoying that he sent him to Cavern 25 to clean it up because he couldn't stand to be around him any longer. The boy who is supposed to clean the floors in this cavern number 25, uh, takes a hammer and he starts bashing in the floor. But aren't we glad he did because he found tiny silver scrolls. No one knew what they were for quite some time. Uh, multiple, uh, Multiple entities, institutions turned down the opportunity to unroll to these scrolls because it was such a painstaking and difficult task. Uh, but finally, in Jeruz- uh, Jerusalem, uh, one institution took on the task, they unrolled it, and they found. i will show you what they found. They found this. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. Now, if you listen to any Christian music, Lord bless you and keep you, it's called The Promise. And you know that when you're singing that song, you are singing something that is thousands of years old that the priests used to sing over their people. This is one of the oldest things that we have um, that is in writing. It is from 700 BC. These little scrolls are 99% silver. Now, let me read this in passage, uh, in, in context. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. And they wrote it on tiny scrolls. It's like nine centimeters long or something. And they somehow inscribed it on there. And a little boy with a hammer found this. Quotes from Numbers, amazing. Speaking of text, you know, our, our canon, we have 66 books in this Bible. And where did we get those? Do we have original scrolls that Nehemiah wrote? That No, we don't actually. Uh, But anything from antiquity, almost in any instance, we don't have any original scrolls, just because those things don't survive that long. And so uh, we had, uh, uh, let's let's just call it scribes, and then later maybe monasteries, and they would take their ancient scrolls and they would copy them one by one by one by one by one. And and when one became... fragmented enough that you couldn't read it any longer. They would destroy it so that it could never be misread or misinterpreted. In fact, if you wrote, uh, may the Lord bless you and And keep you. And you did it twice, the next guy would write two ands too. Because he didn't want to mess it up. And so this is sort of how it came down to us. But then the scrolls became like in question. Is this really right? Is this really from the Lord? How do we know that we have the right thing? And then in 1947, the year before, no coincidence, the year before Israel became a nation, a little boy was watching his sheep. And he was just being a little boy, and he saw a cave, and he throws a rock into the cave, and he hears pottery shatter. And in that cave, and then in many others around it, right near the Dead Sea, we found what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea provided the perfect atmosphere to maintain these scrolls for a couple thousand years to where they can still be read. And in there, we found, minus Esther, minus one book of the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, we found fragments at least, in some case, entire scrolls of the whole Old Testament. And do you know what we found? That what we had was 99.99999% accurate. You mean it's not 100% accurate? Well, let me tell you some of the discrepancies. We are not sure if Solomon had 800 horses or 8,000. That's one dot off. And, and some of them are like, I see a dot and some of them aren't. I mean, that's some, that's some breaking news. But it showed us what we have is correct because these Dead Sea Scrolls were so much older than anything that we had, had to use before that. And the fact that we were still spot on said, we've got it. A long time ago, the Israelites were supposed to go in and take Jerusalem, or, or Jericho. And Jericho is a walled city. You ever heard this story, Joshua? And, and they you know, they went around seven days. And the seventh day, they went around seven times. And the walls of Jericho failed. Uh-uh. No, they didn't. Despite the fact that we found an ancient city called Jericho. Well, it didn't happen the way it said. you know? Some years back, the New York Times wrote an article and was like, a win for Christians. Like if the rest was null and void. But we finally got a win because they found that the walls of Jericho fell in, not out. I'm not sure why the fact that they had walls that fell wasn't good enough, that they had to fall inward to convince everyone. But it was a win for Christians. And Jericho has been excavated back and forth. You should check it out. Uh, The place of Jesus' trial was said to never exist. We found it. Pretty sure we found Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham come from. Pretty sure you need to look into Sodom. I didn't give you any pictures on that one. I think we found Sodom from, you know, the famous story, Sodom and Gomorrah. I am convinced, however, that we found Peter's house in Capernaum, where Jesus would have stayed when he was there. And also, uh, it was converted later into a church, which we've always uh, heard that the first church was in Peter's house. And this thing is in Peter's house. uh, And you can see where it goes through the generations being morphed from a house into a place of worship. There are inscriptions all in there saying uh, uh, Christian phrases, even mentioning Peter. Pretty convincing. I mean, our Bible in general, you know, uh, Plato, Aristotle... um, Uh, Julius Caesar, we know that those people existed, and we know that they are from a long time ago. And you've never been to school, and they go, you know what? I just don't think that Julius Caesar was from 33 B.C. or whenever. Would it have been 100 B.C.? I don't know. My my years are off. But they're saying, I don't know that he... Yes, they know. Do they have any original writings from Julius Caesar? No. What do they have? They have about three or four manuscript copies of a couple of his uh, writings Plato, Aristotle, all these people. No, none of you are going to college and be like, today we're going to study Plato, but we don't think he ever existed because we don't have anything original. We only have manuscript copies. That's how you know about people from antiquity. And so most of these have seven of them. They have, you know, ten of them or whatever. There's a really old story called the Iliad. You ever heard of it? I mean, this one is like wow, head and shoulders above almost everything. There's 611, I believe, manuscript copies of this, not proving that the story is true, but proving that it is from antiquity. It was a popular story and it was copied a lot of times. So we know that it's really old and nobody debates that. New Testament has over 20,000 manuscript copies. I actually didn't look that up this week, so feel free to correct me if my numbers are wrong. Now, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Yeah, right. I need proof. You'll have it. I'm just talking about archaeology. I didn't go into philosophy. I didn't talk about. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I didn't talk about the complexity of the universe, which which most atheists agree. That's the greatest tool in the tool belt of a Christian. The complexity of the universe. I didn't talk about any of those things. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm reading. I'm, I'm finishing a book right now. Uh, the archaeology section and the complexity of the universe section in this book. It's called uh, is is Atheism Dead by Eric Metaxas. Fantastic book. I'm not done with it yet, so I can't tell you about the last couple chapters, but fantastic book. You can look into that if you want to read it, but I'm going to tell you that it's probably not going to help you, because the proof has always been there, and if this study on archaeology and this study on philosophy help people, that's all that pastors, I think, would ever talk about, because this is what brings people to Christ. Right? I've already told you that Jesus came and he performed these miracles. Paul was able to perform these miracles, and still people didn't believe. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and instead of following him, they decided to murder Jesus. So stop giving God advice on what would make people believe in him. Jared. I propose to you that without faith you cannot please God. Without faith, you will never believe in Christ. And I'm here to ask you about your faith. Let me ask you this. As with anything, I don't care, and I've used this example before. Some of you, some of you have been watching a lot of YouTube, and you think that the earth is flat, okay? And I'm not going to debate with you on any of this, uh, but, but whether, it's, whether it's flat, whether it's round, whether you believe uh, aliens, no aliens, whether you be, what else is controversial? Flood, no flood? I, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here's the question that you have to ask yourself. What would it take to convince me that this is true whatever whatever topic it is does my wife love me whatever what would it take to convince you that this is true let me ask you what would it take to convince you that this is true. I propose to you, we probably have it. You've probably heard it before, but it wasn't enough. Why? Because we cannot come to faith in Jesus by intellect alone. He wants your heart. He's courting you. He's dating you. He wants a relationship with you, not just belief in you. If I got married to my wife and left her at the altar and was like, hey, see you never, that wouldn't be no kind of marriage. That's not what I'm after. She, intellectually, she believes that I'm there but I have no relationship with her. The father desires a relationship with you. And so I beg you, would you consider your faith? Do you have faith in Jesus? Have you said, I will follow you? Have you said, I've got enough. I need something. I know that I have an intrinsic value that only you could have put in me and I need something. I need you and I will follow you. I beg you, have you considered your faith? Jesus said that, that, that on that day, the great and terrible day of the Lord, when he says, okay, you guys love me, you guys don't love you, you decided to follow somebody else, so you can go, you can go be married to him in his faith. Or you can be married to me in my faith. You didn't choose me. And we will say, but Lord, Lord, did I do all these things? And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. They believed in him, but they didn't have faith in him. They didn't trust in him. He was never a part of their life. God wants a relationship with you, okay? Let me finish the passage. Second Peter 1, 4 through 11. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Assuming that you have the knowledge, you have to put on these elementary things. You have to put on these basic things to keep from being unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. It's not enough to know him. I need to follow him. I need to have a relationship with him. Where did we leave off? Nine. The person who lacks these things... is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. You can be a biblical archaeologist, but if you don't put on goodness and faithfulness and love and self-control and all of these things, you won't have a relationship with Jesus, and knowledge alone will not get you into a relationship with the Father. He requires Faith. It's not a recommendation. It's not something he would like, but he doesn't require. He said it is impossible to please God without faith. I'll read that to you in just a minute. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will question your mind. You will question your intellect. But I did not wake up questioning if I have a wife and if she loves me. I woke up beside her this morning. She ironed my shirt because I couldn't get the collar right. I have a relationship with her, and I know that she's there. I don't question about it. I don't think about it. It's not even part of me. For in this way, entry into the king, internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. And because we love you, because I love you, because you love one another, that is my goal for you, is that there is entrance into the kingdom of heaven. I want you to spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus wants to marry you, and I want you to take part in that marriage, because if not, because we were created for a marriage, we will marry into destruction, and that is what we will inherit. The Bible says, uh, says this in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, don't be deceived, God. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, he will also reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. And you can call yourself a Christian all day long. But if we don't take in the spirit and if we don't sow in the spirit, we will not reap the blessings. So, what I want for you. I want your life to be awesome. Not because I'm your pastor. Anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled when anybody anywhere becomes a Christian because I have love in my heart and I don't want to see anyone follow Satan into destruction. I want to see you open up life in Jesus and not some prosperity gospel, some kind of prosperity faith where God blesses me and it doesn't matter what my surroundings are because I have someone who loves me. You know that you got married. Some of you were like, my happiest times were in marriage were in the first year. You were poor as a church mouse. It wasn't your surroundings that made you in love. God is bidding for your heart. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Will you choose faith? I'm just going to tell you this. Some of you have listened to me preach. You've listened to somebody else preach. You've weighed some things. Kind of call myself a believer. Like I used to be an atheist, and now I'm kind of, I'm kind of not. I went through an agnostic phase, and I just don't know. I think, I think this is true. Do you have faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior who will come one day to collect his bride and take us to be to eternity with him? If yes, have you told him that? Will you follow that? What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, would you get saved? Would you allow Jesus to save you from yourself? Praise God, I think that's the best thing I was saved from. Would you allow him to save you from destruction? Would you allow him to lift you up? Would you allow him to give you a life that doesn't determine my circumstances for how I feel that day? Would you allow him to give you purpose? Would you allow him to fill your heart to where you can't wait to tell somebody, to wait to disciple somebody? And my life means something because people are going to heaven because of what I've done. Would you allow Jesus to do that in your life? He wants you. So, well, I don't. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but are they following the teachings of Jesus? Don't compare yourself to other people. He has a teaching. He has a standard, and this is it—not what somebody else has done. I'm going to read you this while the worship team comes up, and we're going to be done. I'm reading out of Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't put it on the screen. I didn't know I was going to read this until this morning. Oh, I bookmarked it. I'm going to read this. You might want to, if you focus better, closing your eyes. Maybe put your phone down for a second. Whatever. Take this in. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By what? By faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And everybody's tried to disprove that. And it just keeps pointing back. It keeps pointing back. Don't be afraid of that debate. I'm not saying jump into a fruitless argument. I'm saying that we have stuck to our guns, kind of as a whole, kind of, that God created the universe, and we fought and fought and fought and fought, and and now it's like, well, some created it. I don't know. And we're like, ha-ha, we've been here the whole time. (laughs) Standing on the shoulders of people who the world tried to make look like fools. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through faith. I'm going to skip down just a little bit. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. These all died in faith. Although they had not received the things they were promised, but they saw them from a distance greeting them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. This is not your home. You have faith in a different place that God will allow you to see in some form or fashion. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are speaking, I'm sorry, now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about what they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I believe that God has prepared a city for you, but the Holy Spirit is quite the gentleman. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free, Galatians. You are free to choose, or you are free to not choose. And all I can do is beg, as a broken man who has been healed, who still makes a lot of mistakes, but can't imagine where I would be without my God, begging you, don't compare yourself to other Christians, let Jesus overwhelm you, live by his testimony, live by his word and by his teachings. Doesn't matter the culture, the culture's not always gonna get it right. Maybe the culture's not ever gonna get it right, but (laughs) you know what I'm saying. Would you be a child of God? Will you be a person of faith? We have people uh, who want to pray with you. And and so I, I want to talk to those, any, any any of you who I've ever talked about being uh, on the prayer team with us, if you would just come be in the front, just, just sit in the front row for me. Uh, we have people who are here that want to pray with you. Say, I don't know what steps I'm even supposed to take to do this. We want to talk with you about that. We want to pray with you about that. And we want you to be saved we want you to choose Jesus and we think that the knowledge that the proof for our Lord is overwhelming but that debate will rage on that debate will rage on for all of the length of this world one day that will no longer be a debate and on that day it won't matter what you thought it will matter who you put your faith in. If you are not a Christian in this place, if you've never followed the teachings of Jesus, I beg you, I'm not asking you to make an uninformed decision. Hey, this is my first time in church in 10 years. nobody, and, and, and nobody hitting you with a high pressure cell. I got, I, I've got a cup for you at the end, a little gift, just something to remember. It's my worth. Tickled that you came. But you say, you know what, I've been coming for a while. I've been thinking about this and I need to get saved. I need to become a Christian. I want to become a Christian. I want to come get baptized because that's like your wedding ring showing, hey, I've done this. I want to to, to do that thing. I want to make this right with Jesus. I'm begging you to do that. So we have people sitting all across this front aisle. They're ready to pray with you. If you want to receive Christ, come grab me later. Write it on your connection card. But I'm begging you, don't put the Lord off because one day he will say, it's done. What did you decide? pray with me, Lord, I, I love you and I love your people, God, but I know I don't love them nearly as much as you, Holy Spirit. We are, we are relying on your movement and God, I, I believe, Lord, I believe that you are stirring in souls. Uh, maybe, maybe it's even online. I'd be surprised if, if, if Satan hadn't shut, and shut down this live stream. But however that works, Somebody online, somebody in here today, God, I pray that they would put their faith in you and that we could, as you had the lady tell me prophetically years ago with her finger in my chest, that they would walk by faith and not by sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. The worship team is going to play when they do. Baskets are going to come forward. If you've got something you want us to uh, walk with you on, you want to put that on your connection card, drop that in, in the basket also, um, as part of the way that we worship is with our tithe and offerings, you can drop that in there as well, and we want to talk with you, we want, we want to walk with you, we'll be here again at six o'clock this evening if you want to come do Bible study, but for now please stand and worship with us.